Hi, friends and colleagues. I'm Veronica Green, and this is Use Your Teacher Voice. You're listening to a new podcast that I have been dreaming about for almost a year now. I started planning this in June of 2021 when I left a teaching job that I absolutely loved, was beginning to finish my master's in TESOL, which is teaching English to speakers of other languages, and was transitioning to a new position for the fall. What I had come to realize was that all of the conversations that I've heard my whole life around teaching and students, around children and pedagogy, they were all happening everywhere, except in a public space. You know what I'm talking about. The conversations happening in the staff lounge, that place which everyone kind of is either in love with or totally avoids, or in the hallway, in a classroom before students were coming in for the day or between passing time. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, the whispers, the bitterness, the jealousy, the hurt feelings, the hilarious stories of children, the funny things that they said or did. Maybe they were tears coming out of teachers because they had just had a phone call from a parent or there was the fear before the observation. What I realized, especially with everything that's been going on during the pandemic, is that the conversation started to become something more from teachers who didn't usually speak up. Not me, I'm usually the one always asking the questions, but listening to others, their conversations were more about advocacy, about things that they couldn't avoid anymore. The conversations were about students losing parents. The conversations were about How do I get this child what he needs at home? How do I get this child to come to school during a pandemic? How does she get diapers for her little sister? How are they going to have food next week? These aren't questions that we necessarily had before. Or were they? And we just didn't know. The purpose of this podcast is to be able to have a public space where teachers can listen to all these really hard questions where they witness dialogues and conversations with students or administrators or with policymakers at all levels, not just in the shadows, but here together. All of us searching for answers and ways to go forward. But before I do that, I want to tell you a little bit about myself and how I got to where I am now. I'm an ESL teacher. English as a second language or EL or ML, English language learner, multilingual. There's lots of different words for what we do. I have a K-12 license in ESL in the state of Minnesota. I'm not a first career teacher. I'm one of those second career teachers. I've been around the block a little bit. I've been a stay-at-home mom. Off and on, I've had jobs in sales and customer service and I even opened up and managed a cafe and restaurant in Eastern Iowa with my family many years ago. Right now, I work at a high school part-time. I'm 0.6, and I'm very grateful that during this past year, coming back to full in-person teaching, that that was my position. I was finally able to balance my life, both at work and at home, and finish my master's degree. Before working in the high school that I'm at now, I was full-time for four years at a public charter school, mainly as a middle school ESL teacher, but I bounced around in the elementary part of the pre-K through eighth school that I was at. I'm a single mom to two very independent, loving, sassy daughters. I adore them. And I have a wonderful partner who is supportive of me and our life together. So I am very fortunate. I consider myself very fortunate. However, above everything... What I have really come to realize and understand about myself is that I'm an advocate. 
And I think that my journey to this advocacy started when I was a little kid. So I'll just tell you right now, I'm a preacher's kid. So whatever judgment you have, it's all right. I've heard it all. The other thing is, I'm a teacher's kid too. So yeah, that's a double whammy. And I wholeheartedly will accept any and all love and support for you. But you know, I'm 44. I've dealt with that. I've kind of gotten over about all of that. And one thing about being a teacher's kid, and if you're a teacher's kid, you know, you hear it all. Whenever I would go out with my mom to the grocery store, she'd run into a teacher friend or a colleague. I secretly would count how many minutes it would take for them to go straight into the juicy stuff. And usually it was like two at the most. Oh my God, did you hear what just came down from district? Did I tell you what happened last Thursday? What do you think about this? Let me tell you what he told me about this parent. I would sit there sometimes in the cart when I was really little, or I would just stand and stare and then wander around and come back and say, okay, mom, I'll meet you at the checkout. They would talk for 15, 20, 25 minutes. And of course they weren't saying anything in front of it, anybody else, and usually not even using names. It was all secret, hush, hush. I listened to those conversations for literally decades. I knew what all the conversations were about, in code or not. Even when my mom became an administrator and a really great one, the conversations didn't change all that much. And then my dad was the preacher. Well, he still is, even though he's retired, but you know, you can take the preacher out of the pulpit, but you can't take the pulpit out of the preacher. All the stories I heard about advocating for families, all the 3 a.m. phone calls. Do you know how many vacations were postponed because somebody died? Yeah, that happened. But my dad did it all in stride. He listened to every story. He preached the gospel, but above all, he loved his flock. He loved his people. One thing that he taught me, and that he also shared with my mom that he learned as a student at seminary, was when he asked his professor for advice before he was about to go into the world of preaching. What's the most important thing I can know before I actually go out there and do this job as a pastor? His professor wisely said, Preach the gospel and love the people. Never get it the other way around. So my dad translated this into the teaching world and said the same thing to my mom. Teach the curriculum, love the children, and never get it the other way around. Those are the guiding words that I I use every day. This is part of my teaching philosophy, which is probably many teachers' philosophy. Love the children. That's absolutely number one. Growing up, hearing all the stories from my mom and her colleagues and friends and my dad and his colleagues and some of the people from his parishes, I did not want to be a teacher. I really didn't because I knew exactly what I would be getting into. Even though I am a lifelong learner and I love going to school, I avoided going to college to be a teacher like the plague. So let me tell you, I applied to the College of Education at the University of Iowa twice. Once when I was already there as an undergrad, and once after I had finished that and I finished a graduate degree, so I have a master's in conflict resolution and mediation, I thought maybe I'd go back for a license. And then both times I was like, no, mm -mm, nope, not going to do it. I know exactly what I'm getting into. The third time I looked into education, years later, I was applying to join a fellowship program in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I did all of the applications and I learned everything they needed me to learn. And then, unfortunately, in the middle of this whole process, the budget was cut and the program was gone. 
The fourth time that I applied to a college of education was when I was 37 and it stuck. I went back to Hamlin University and during the first week, I kind of had a panic attack because I was really questioning why I was there. But I was in ed psych and I had an epiphany. I was much older than the kids in my classes, but as I was in that class, looking at the inner workings of children and infants and theories, I realized that my pathway was unique and very special for me. I realized I had to become a mom first before becoming a teacher. I saw children in a different way and understood from having nurtured my own daughters at home what they really needed. So fast forward seven years after starting that program and I'm finally finishing my MA with a project, this podcast. But I have a feeling that this podcast is just bigger, much bigger than a capstone project. When I finally did decide to go back to school and become a teacher, I knew exactly what I would teach, ESL. I had been an exchange student and lived in different countries. I'm a fluent Spanish speaker. And being a preacher's kid, we moved around quite a lot. I identify wholeheartedly with people that are considered outsiders, judged. We don't really have hometown roots and we bond together and we have learned how to ask for help. We need questions answered and sometimes we don't even know what the freaking questions are to ask. This in itself, I feel, is part of the core of advocacy. Let me go a little deeper to describe what I mean about advocacy and how this all connects to where we are now. Advocacy is at the heart of being an ESL teacher. And truly, it's at the heart of being any teacher. To enter into the teaching profession is to start a vocation or what I refer to, or many people I think refer to as a calling deeply personal and more than merely a career. Vocation comes from, and this is really where my language nerd comes into play, so you just gotta roll with this. Vocation comes from the old French, vocation, a spiritual calling or a call, consecration even, a profession where you are called to it. This term originated from the Latin word, you know, which I'm probably will pronounce incorrectly, but the language is dead, so I could be right, I could be wrong. Vocationem and vocatio. So when that's translated is a calling, a being called. And from there, if you go further back, the roots go back to vocatus, to vocare, related to vox or voice. So it's either coincidental or perhaps very calculated that advocacy and advocate both originating, originating from Old French, and thank you very much that we have stolen it into English at some point many years ago, also have Latin heritages in vocare and vox. The addition of the AD, that cute little affix, which is a prefix, shifted the preposition where the voice was being pointed with regard to, in relation to, or toward. Okay, are you following me in my nerdiness? So in the original context of advocacy, the focus of the voice wasn't a court of law to plead cases or to be called to aid somebody or to speak on someone's behalf, but both terms, advocacy and voice, conceptually have their beginnings in what? Vox, voice, and then they grow from there. 
So the vocation of teaching is a strong act of being called, possibly by a higher voice for some people or an ancestral lineage, maybe your grandparents, your nieces, your uncles, everybody in your family, they're all teachers. Maybe this comes from a love of children for you, an appreciation of knowledge, a talent or skill that you just so deeply want to share, so deeply. And the reasons for doing this are so noble. In turn, so vocation moves towards advocacy then and the acts of advocacy. So the calling becomes reversed and the teacher now has a voice to use. And their voice, right? I don't say his or her, but their voice is used with regard to or in relation to others as a spokesperson called to support in a time of need, whether in the classroom or outside of the schoolhouse doors. Personally, as an ESL teacher, this act of advocacy every day is especially prevalent. It's wrapped up in our calling to serve children and families who are marginalized in a trifecta, linguistically, economically, racially. Truly, these are the most marginalized children. And the call to become a teacher then becomes a call to become a voice for others, not necessarily within a court of justice, as many advocates outside of education are found, but within the realm of social justice, which is our school. We're called to become a voice for others in our unjust, inequitable educational system where the voiceless continue to be powerless. Their rights completely denied, completely unheard. And the sad fact of all this is we say nothing. We are powerless too, or at least feel that way, we become voiceless. And I'll be honest, one of the things that I have really found to be so difficult is finding my own personal voice, not just for this podcast, but at school. And I don't mean when we're on stage teaching, right? Like when we're reading our audience, our children, wondering what it is that they need, I have my voice down, that's my jam, I know who I am. But why is it when we need something for ourselves, when we have a tough question for the administration, when we need to talk to parents, when we have to tell a co-teacher about something that's not going so well, we can't talk. We've lost our voices. Why? Why is that? But we will find our voices. Your voice, my voice, our voice. I'm still finding my voice. But together we will find it. I've been searching for years and really my whole life. But I know that when we don't say anything, that doesn't mean that the truth doesn't still exist. I have had, and I think we all have had times of saying the wrong thing, or we say too much, or we say too little, so then at some point we just decide to say nothing at all. But I'm telling you, we cannot continue to sit in silence for the way that the world is now. We can continue to have hushed conversations, but we can't continue to have them with no results, with no action to improve anyone's circumstances. But what if we did finally speak up, speak out, speak for, speak with, speak together, speak on, speak about, you know, this is where my prepositional fun and knowledge really gets exciting for me as a language teacher. That'll never stop. I don't wanna stop anymore. I don't wanna stop speaking the truth out of fear or recourse. That's basically why I left my other job that I love so much. I didn't feel like I could speak. How do the kids feel then? I cannot, and I know you cannot, unsee and unknow what we see and know 
on a daily basis in our classes, in our schools, and the whole system. So there is a challenge for us. And there is a better way. But we cannot avoid conflict anymore. When people get to know me and they see that I like conflict, <laughs> it's not because I like dramas. I mean, I love telenovelas, but that's another story. I don't love conflict in a way that makes me sick or weird. I love conflict knowing that it is the key to change. It is the doorway to another path, another way. It's an invitation for us to move in a different way. So conflict isn't the problem. Our silence, especially we white educators who are listening, that's the problem. When we enter that dance of hard dialogue, we're scared and, and we kind of stop and we chip up. But when we gather together, there's the power of the people and we learn how to step and move together by listening and watching other people dance and by being fearless, being brave, and by joining. Because truly, it's more difficult for one of us to be crucified if all of us stand together. There's, there's power and safety in numbers. This is nothing new, but it seems new in the educational field because people have been afraid. All of our voices bound together though, with the message that we are here and we have needs for our children and our parents and our schools and our administrators and our staff, all of us, when we're together, we are so powerful, not powerless. But how do we gather together when we're so scattered, so distraught, we're so exhausted. And even though we have this beautiful technology that brings us together, we're entirely separated. I don't even wanna get into politics. More than any feeling, more than exhaustion, we feel powerless. So what do we do? Do we protest? Do we go to the streets? Our voices need to be heard. And man, if you can march and gather and protest, do it. I support you, march and gather. But if you can't, then now is the time. And this podcast is the space for you to listen and notice, to learn and evaluate, and then to lead and plan action and steps and strategies with others using your teacher voice. Join us in this podcast series to find your voice and then help others to find theirs. We are here to amplify all the voices of educators and students in advocacy, especially those voices that are underrepresented, our black and brown friends and their communities, our communities. I want you to join us in sharing stories, ideas, strategies and perspectives to move through this conflict of our deeply flawed, racist, unjust educational system that we all work for, we all love and want the best things for, but we know is broken. We can't merely throw thoughts and prayers at this, right? We need all the voices at the table. And I mean all the voices at the table. Those heard now and those who are never heard and all the people in between, especially those who have the truth but are too afraid to say anything or to ask questions. And my role is to guide us through this. My purpose here is to learn with you, to moderate, to empower us in our voices in order to effect change. And I'll be honest, I will be learning right along with you. And I'm nervous, I'm excited, and I'm a little scared, but I'm here. I wanna be brave. I'm showing up and I, the nerdy, ESL, mama teacher, linguist, I love learning. You do too, that's why you're here. And part of my role is to create and maintain this very special 
safe space, this podcast, to move us through the overdue, massive, necessary changes that have been so deeply ingrained for so freaking long. Those issues that were pushed up to the surface because of the pandemic and exacerbated by that, and because of the continual injustices that are repeatedly happening to our black and brown friends, both immigrants and citizens in all of our communities, we're ashamed and distraught, aren't we? I'm, I'm ashamed and distraught. How do we deal with the shame? How the hell do we get out of this cruel cycle of insanity? We don't lose hope. We open our hearts and we remember our purpose to love and serve children, those who are not necessarily able to speak for themselves or be present. Because guess what? They're watching us. They're listening. We are their models. That's a heavy burden, but it's a great gift that we are able to do that. It is our calling. Do we love them more than we love the system? How do we prove that to our children? How do we show them? How will they know what to do when it's their turn to use their voices? You know, we always tell children, oh, you're the future. Well, they truly are. But what if we are their future too? The patterns, the frameworks, and the systems that we maintain implode, explode, or adore are the ones that they will inherit in the future. So often in the classroom, in the hallway, even in my relationships, someone might say to me or to you, use your teacher voice, or don't use your teacher voice. But do you know how to use it? Can you show others? Do you know what to say? We're here together to find out what our voices are. Will you join me? Each week, I will have someone that I will be interviewing. It could be one person, it could be a few people, and my hope is they can guide us. We can listen to their experiences as advocates and activists, as people who are marching in the streets, as administrators effecting change, or researchers, writers, students, immigrants, policymakers. These are the people that have voices that we can listen to we can learn from them. My hope is that they give us strategies because that's what we all love as teachers, right? In order to go out and do the same, to lead others and to act. Because we still need to teach the curriculum no matter what yours is, with all the high expectations and all the tactics and strategies that you know and that you've been taught. But our goal is to love the children always and forever. Join me next week when our first interview begins on Use Your Teacher Voice.